Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Dan, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Tampa, Joanna Jacek versus Michelle Watterson. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday. It's going down tomorrow in Tampa, Florida. You got the former strawweight queen versus the woman trying to become the first mother champion in UFC history. Joanna Jacek, the initial strawweight queen, she had that great run of fights where she beat Carla Esparza, she beat Claudia Gadelia, beat Karolina Kovacavich. I mean, she goes down in, in the history of books as one of the best strawweights of all time. And Watterson, it looks like she's been making these gains fight to fight. These last two wins over Felice Herrig and uh, Karolina Kovacavich. So she's looking the best she's ever had. From the from the looks of it, man, she's uh, got that six-pack going, man. It looks like she's ready to fight. There's been no shortage of mental warfare in this fight in the lead-up, similar to Joanna on Jacek's old days because as you know she called the UFC a week in advance to try to make this a catchway, try to mess with Michelle a little bit. All the speculation was that Joanna was going to miss by a few pounds. She came in under the limit today at 114 and a half pounds so you think this was psychological warfare the entire time, Shaq? It's a good chance, man. You know, Joanna is a, she still views herself as the champ. She is a little bit delusional. There's a lot of things going on in that head of hers. So she she might have been trying to play a little games with Michelle, make Michelle get a little bit more comfortable. Maybe Michelle thinks that uh, Joanna was hurting more than she actually was. But we're going to find out on Saturday night. Absolutely, and it's a great card. Very stacked card. Going to be some action-packed fights. Obviously, you got Crone Gracie taking out Cub Swanson, James Vick versus Nico Price. Lots of fights to be very excited about. And man, how unbelievable was it seeing Israel, the last stylebender, Adesanya, not just go out there and unify the middleweight title, but knock out the great Robert Whitaker and hand him his first defeat at middleweight. Yeah, it was a great performance. Israel looked very calm. Rob came out, uh, honestly, I don't want to say it was a suicide mission, but he honestly, you know, was com coming out there a little bit too hard. You know, you could kind of tell right away that if you don't knock him out in this first round, then there's four more rounds to go on. And he's going to be in big trouble. And Izzy did get him in that second round. He looked amazing. Paulo Costa's next. Man, I cannot wait to see Paulo Bojachinha Costa versus Israel Adesanya. It's going to be crazy. So to all our fans, you got to check out our sponsor, Flav, for all your CBD needs. Make sure you go to flavcbd.com. Use the promo code BATTLE to save 10% off any CBD purchase. And man, I can already tell you, we've, we've only been sponsored by Flav for about a week or two. But man, it's really been awesome. The CBD gummies, you got all kinds of different flavors. You got mango, green apple, cotton candy, blueberry, which is my personal favorite. And I got to say, man, if you're having kind of a stressful day, if you're a little bit sore from the gym you're kind of nervous about these fights coming up one pack of gummies will do the trick but they got other products too Shaq yeah 100% like I said last week if uh, the wife the baby mama's getting on your nerves a little bit the boss is getting on your nerves a little bit at work or just life's getting to you in general man hit up uh, Flav use that code battle for 10% off and your uh your concerns will go away now I know with all this climate change that it's uh it's October and it's 100 degrees out there so you need some CBD sunscreen my boys at Flav got you covered. FlavCBD.com. Use that promo code BATTLE to save 10% off. And at checkout, let them know we sent you. They will take care of you for sure. Well, Shaq, let's break down this whole card start to finish. Because first up, in the flyweight division, we got J.J. Aldrich. She's 7-3. and three, And Lauren Mueller is 5-2. and two. Currently, they got J.J. Aldrich minus 160. The comeback on Lauren Mueller is plus 140. Well, both of them are coming off losses. 
Mueller off back-to-back losses. She's looking to get back on track. You think she gets it done here against Rose Namajunas teammate Aldrich? Yeah, this is going to be a good fight. You know, I don't want to say this is do or die for Mueller, but she is coming off the two losses. The fight against Pollyanna Batalio was in Atlanta. We saw that fight live in person. And Mueller, you know, she got off to a slow start in those first two rounds. Batalio, man, that's a girl that can overwhelm you. I mean, she's a Brazilian wrestling champion. She uh, was good on the mat as well. She's got the judo background as well. She's a very complete fighter in comparison to uh, J.J. Aldridge, in my opinion, and then the uh, Yan and Wu fight down there in China. Look, we've seen a lot of guys, fighters, go out there to China and take these fights and look the worst they've ever had. I mean, Zaleski. it's like you know, some when Americans are, and Mueller did say that was the longest she's ever been on a plane in her entire life. She's never used to traveling like that. So when they sent her out there, it was kind of like uh, she just, her body couldn't acclimate and she looked out of it and it showed and she tapped to that armbar, which was pretty bad. But then she bounced back. I thought she looked the best she ever had against Patello. And a fight like that, that kind of forces her to raise her levels because she she knows what the uh Botello isn't necessarily top 15 or top 10 or anything she's a very talented girl and uh just her her ferocity is a lot more different now jj she's coming up from 115 she already had one fight at 125 against macy barber and you know i'm not gonna I mean, but you can definitely see the extra weight. Now, JJ said she was having a tough time making the 115 limit, so she's moving up. And we know what JJ brings to the table. If you stand in front of her and try to box, she's got some good ones and twos. She's a quality over quantity striker, as in her ones and twos, she wants them to look really clean to make up for the two, three, four strikes that uh, her opponent lands. So that's the type of fighter she is. But to maintain that, to have success, you know, she's going to have have to keep it together. And now she's fighting a different type of opponents. You know, she's not fighting the Daniel Taylors, who's not in the UFC anymore. You know, she's not fighting Fraud Viana, who uh, did not beat up that uh, that bum down there in Brazil. You know what I'm saying? In that fight, JJ was a big underdog, and I guess that's how she's got a lot of her, uh, that's how her reputation's built up over the years. But you know, that one over Viana, I mean, Viana keeps her chin straight up in the air. Viana makes bad mistakes. She pulls guard. I think her jujitsu is overrated as well. But JJ is a brown belt, and she took care of business there. She stayed in her guard, avoided the subs, and did her thing. Now, the Macy Barber fight, a lot of people can say, well, she mopped the floor with her in the first round. I just think it was a, a good read that JJ was making. Macy was telegraphing her kicks way too much, and she was leading in with those kicks instead of setting it up with her hands, and JJ would just time it with a straight. I mean, and then when Macy made that adjustment in the second round and turned up on her, unfortunately, uh, Macy's power was just too much, and JJ had to take a knee, man, so there's no shame in that. She's going to bounce back, but I actually see her having a tougher time at 125. I feel like she her, her style was much more suited better for 115. I think Mueller's going to come in a lot better uh, with a lot more, not necessarily pressure on her, but just a sense of urgency. I mean, she's got to win this fight. I'm going to go with Mueller. I think it's a lot of value. I think the fight's going to be up for grabs late, and I feel like it's going to be one of those closely contested battles, but the size of Mueller, the footwork of Mueller, the head movement, I think is going to kind of nullify those straight shots of JJ, and I think that uh, Mueller's just going to outwork her, be a little bigger, be be a little bit more meaner, rougher, and that's one thing she's got to work on. So I'll take uh, Mueller in an upset, and I, and I think there's a lot of value on that plus 140. Yeah, look, uh, J.J. Aldridge, what she brings to the table is decent hand fighting. She can parry, she can throw straights, and if you give her her distance and you don't try to make it a dirty fight, you don't try to turn up on her, then she can probably go out there and win a decision. Or if you're four foot eleven like Daniel Taylor and you can't touch her, you know, you're probably going to lose. But the thing with Lauren Mueller is even though she's coming off two back-to-back setbacks, I kind of feel like this is stylistically a good matchup for her because she's going to be able to showcase her boxing, which is her strongest asset and not to mention she's very aggressive which has historically given jj aldrich fits in the past if you turn up on jj aldrich she doesn't like it 
at all. If, if you fight at a measured pace, that's where JJ excels. And Lauren Mueller, the reason she got into the UFC, first of all, she got into contender series. She was only 3-0. and And the reason that she got signed, it wasn't because her technique was the prettiest. It's because the girl is super aggressive and she comes to fight. And coming to fight is usually enough to beat a girl like JJ Aldrich. So I'm going to say that it's 1-1 one one going into the third round. Lauren Mueller gets that third round big. So I'm going to go Lauren Mueller via unanimous decision here. Next up in the middleweight division, we got Marvin the Italian Dream Vittori versus Andrew Sanchez. Marvin Vittori is 13-3 and and Andrew Sanchez is 11-4. and Currently, they got Marvin Vittori minus 335. The comeback on Andrew Sanchez is plus 275. Well, Shaq, these two were scheduled to meet about two, three weeks ago. Andrew had to pull out. He was a little bit sick. And Marvin Vittori put out a video. He started calling him all kinds of names. He said Andrew Sanchez was a bitch, among other things. Then Andrew Sanchez posted a response. And in Andrew Sanchez's response, he said... Man, uh, Marvin's so mad because his steroid cycle got thrown off. <laughs> so uh, and he did test positive not too long ago. So I want to know, uh, is uh, Marvin going to be looking kind of off here, or do you expect another solid performance by him? We, we know that team at Kings MMA has uh, all the all the best supplements, and Marvin Vittori is definitely a part of that. He, going into his last fight against that old Brazilian Cesar Matanch, that uh, it was a good fight for him. You know, he had a lot of time to clear his head from the uh, Israel Adesanya fight, in which he did fairly good, and he had a good third round, but he did have that little steroid suspension, but man, Marvin still looks jacked. But one thing about Marvin is, you know, that is, uh, in the past, that his cardio was a little bit of an issue, but lately, it seems like he's been turning up in the third rounds when we talk about his fight with Omar Yakhmedov, Israel Adesanya, and... Uh, I mean, his last fight was the best performance he's had from start to finish in his career. And let's not forget that this kid is still a young kid. You know, he's, what, 24, 25? He's still got a, so much more to get better. And Andrew Sanchez, I've always said that, look, this kid is a is a weird case to me because I feel like the kid's got all the tools. You know, he's got the, the Taekwondo-style kicks, the movement. Then he's got the, the two-time NAI uh, wrestling champion. I think he's a jiu-jitsu champion as well. And I feel like this guy just always hits a wall in the second second round where he gets a little tired and then he kind of seems like he starts to look for a way out. But then his last fight, hey, that was the first time in a while where he's kept maintaining his composure. He stayed through and he got the win against Barry out in Canada. So Andrew, Salen, Andrew Sanchez has the talent to make this fight a lot closer than the line suggests. But just the, traje the trajectory that I see Marvin is, I just see his ceiling being a lot higher than uh, Andrew Sanchez. And I'm going to take him for the win here. I think it might play out a little tougher because Sanchez has that really good wrestling. And if he keeps making these gains at TriStar like he's been making, don't be shocked if he pulls off an upset. But I, I got to go with Marvin with Tory here for a fairly comfortable decision one. Well, real quick, shout out to anyone that gobbled up that plus 285 on Andrew Sanchez, even a plus 300, because win or lose, I definitely think you guys got some value in this spot for sure. I mean, Andrew Sanchez is no slouch at all. Historically speaking, the guy is winning every single fight he's in. Even the ones he loses, he's winning until he loses. So the guy is very talented. And I think that once he finally figures out the cardio issue, and it's not even a cardio issue because the guy is definitely out here running his miles. It's more so a pacing issue, knowing when to go hard, knowing when to lay back. That's what he's got to figure out, in my opinion. And with Marvin Vittori, I think that he had kind of similar issues, not in terms of the durability, because that's always been Andrew Sanchez's issue, you know, and he is a bit on the chinier side, whereas Marvin Vittori is what we like to refer to as a gas and assassin. He will go super hard, and then he'll be huffing and puffing later on. But, man, I feel like that hasn't been the case lately because you saw him win that third round against Israel Adesanya. You saw him win that third round against Omari. You saw him dominate Cesar Mutanchi in that third round. So it seems like Marvin Vittori has definitely addressed that. 
Now, uh, you know, those comments by Andrew Sanchez were really funny. Is this cycle going to be thrown off here with the, with the switch? Uh, who, who knows, man? I mean, the guy's tested positive before, right? But at the end of the day, I do think that Marvin Vittori is the more durable guy, so I'm going to pick him for that reason. But at the betting window, it's a dog or pass situation. Next up in the welterweight division, we got Hector Aldana. He's 4-2, and two, and Miguel Baeza is 7-0. and oh. Currently, they got Miguel Baeza, minus 220. The comeback on Hector Aldana is plus 180. Well, Shaq, uh, Hector Aldana is obviously coming off two losses in a row, but they're keeping him for a reason. This guy comes to bang. This guy is not going to come out here and try to hump someone's leg and make the whole crowd boo. Hector Aldana will stand and bang until one man falls. Do you think he has a willing dance partner here with the newcomer, Miguel Baeza? Yeah, Miguel Baeza is a very well-rounded prospect, 7-0. and He trains out of Miami with the Ricardo Lamas' team, MMA Masters. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu the kid seems like he's very well rounded to you know to be an entry-level UFC fighter and I think he's got Hector Aldana beat all across the board Hector Aldana is a very tough Mexican fighter but Hector Aldana when you look at his uh, history we're talking about submission losses to Enrique Marine we're talking about those two fights in the UFC I feel like people are slightly giving a, a little bit too much credit you know the Keenan Song fight Keenan Song he, he definitely took Keenan down twice caught a couple kicks and put him down but he didn't have the jiu-jitsu skills to hold him down Keenan got right back up and eventually knocked him out and the Steripoli fight, his face was covered in blood, you know, with two uh, two uh, bags under his eyes, man. So I feel like when you're honestly like at that stage in uh, Hector Aldana's career, although he's a very tough, tough Mexican fighter, I feel like he just doesn't have the skills to compete at this level. And I feel like uh, even though nah, I don't want to say has no business being in them because he's got the four and two record, but I just feel like he he's missed so many steps of development, and I just don't feel like it's gonna work out for him here. So I'm gonna go with M Miguel Baeza by a uh, submission victory. I think Miguel Baeza also those big punches we saw in his contender series fight. The guy that he fought missed weight by like eight or ten pounds was way bigger than him. And uh, I mean Miguel Baeza put on a MMA clinic against him, man. It was a very tough fight. The guy. Shots had a lot of sting on him, and Hector Aldana, I just feel like, can get caught up in that brawling sense and taking too much damage, and I don't think his hands are that good, to be honest, either. I just don't think he has the skills to compete in the UFC, so I'm going to go with Miguel Baeza for a, a submission victory. You make some good points about how Hector Aldana has missed some steps in his development, and there's no questions asked because this guy went pro in 2011, and you're telling me he's only had six professional fights? So either they're missing some fights on his record, or this guy truly is the undeveloped fighter that we're seeing and I think that might be the case because you see those two UFC fights and you think a guy that's been fighting pro since 2011 will be able to have a little better uh, account or a little better showing of himself and just wasn't the case and with Miguel Baeza super long for the weight class he's six foot two well-rounded guy young hungry comes out there with that fighting spirit so even though Hector might give him you know, a little bit of a run for his money in the first round and a half. Maybe even not. Maybe he gets choked out. But I think as the fight goes on down the stretch, Miguel Baeza is going to take over and he's going to win this fight in his UFC debut. So I got Miguel Baeza as well. Now next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Marlon Chito Vera. He's 16-5. and five, And Andre, Mr. Highlight, Ool, is 15-5. and five. Currently, they got... Marlon Chito Vera, minus 155. The comeback on Andre Ull is plus 135. Well, Shaq, I've never seen a boring Marlon Chito Vera fight, and this kid Andre Ull has a knack for exciting fights as well. We were at his uh, last bout in Greenville versus Anderson Dos Santos. I know you remember that crazy line flip in that one. Now here he's fighting uh, the opportunistic finisher, Marlon Chito Vera. You think Marlon... Uh, Gets another comeback win, or do you think the straight punches of Andre Ull are going to be too much? Yeah, man, this is going to be a really, really 
closely contested fight, I feel like. They got Vera. He opened up a bigger favor. Now he's minus 155. But Marlon Vera, for the most part, he beats a certain type of guy. An aging guy on his way out. Whether that be Brad Piggott, whether that be Frankie Sines, whether that be Guido Canetti, whether that be Waligi Buren. But it seems like he kind of takes advantage of these guys on their way out. So now they're matching him up with an up-and-comer who's getting a lot better, who made a lot of improvements from the Nathaniel Wood fight. I mean, my boy Prospect Wood, I mean, beat him thoroughly. And, I mean, he had to go back and work on his jiu-jitsu. And, I mean, if you go to his IG, you can catch Andre Wool in that every single day man he's been putting that work and his fight against anderson dos santos they said hey let's see how you do against another black belt well what's not a black belt but you, you know he, he tapped out tech on the first round but uh they put him in there anderson dos santos a black belt who puts a lot of pressure on you who can take a big punch and look andre Ull touched him up to a point in that first round i mean dos santos was on ice skates but and dos santos got a good chin and he kept coming forward and he did get on top of andre Ull, even mounted him but my boy andre Ull used that fence reversed him and he showed a ton of improvements in his ground game. So now he's fighting another black belt in Marlon Vera, who, like I said, it seems like he's beating a turp of guys. So I think he's going to have his hands full here. I actually think he's going to have to dig down deep to really win this fight because we know who has the edge out in space, you know. It's uh, Andre Ull, but Andre Ull can't make the mistake of falling into that Spanish fighter trap. And that Spanish fighter trap is, you know, sometimes guys like... Uh, Joel Alvarez and Cheeto and these other guys, you know, they let they let you whoop on them for a good round and then all of a sudden they come back and they're they're coming after you like a like a crazy man. So he's gotta be careful of that. He's gotta make sure he doesn't exert too many too much energy because sometimes when Ul Ul does get a little fatigued when he cause he, he has so much success with his straight punches that I mean, if the guys can't handle it, he ends up whipping their ass to a point and then he gets a little bit tired. So he's got to be careful. But man, I'm going to take Ool in this one, man. I feel like Cheeto, I mean, we saw what happened in that Guido Canetti fight in the first round. Well, I mean, he, that was a little sketchy. We saw what happened when he when he was challenged against uh, Douglas De Silva down there in Brazil and De Silva walked him down. I know De Silva was on some of the finest uh, needle injection plans that <laughs> the... Uh, the the sport has ever seen that night but what did happen and, and marlon vera was lying very high in that fight he was lying uh, as high as minus 190 minus 200 in some spots so the value is on all here but i would not count out the fact that marlon vera might show up even more better he's been working with guys like jason perillo on his boxing that's a that's a um, the department where he needs a little bit of work on is his boxing. You know, one thing I've always said about him is he can't box, and his competition level really hasn't been that impressive. Like I said, the guys he's been fighting are all on their way out. So unless Marlon Vera's been making uh, improvements with Perillo, and he's been training with Dos Anjos as well, I think that uh, this is going to be a very tough fight for him. I could see it going either way, but I'll go with Ul by uh, a split decision. It's going to be one hell of a fight. Obviously, you guys know Marlon Chito Vera has a knack for losing that first round and coming back. And when he turns up on people, uh, bodies hit the floor, man. And uh, he can knock guys out. He can tap guys out. Black belt in jiu-jitsu. And obviously, you guys know the kind of respect I have for a guy like Marlon Chito Vera, where he was over there in Ecuador training with cab drivers. Literally, I'm not making that up. And you know, got to the UFC off that merit alone. He was training with the tomato salesman. And then he realized how to make a change, moves to the States, and he's a completely different guy since he's been in the States. So I'm a huge fan of Marlon Chito Vera, a very nice guy as well. With Andre Ull, I got to tell you what, man, this guy, talk about improvements. This guy's been making a ton of them because he came into the UFC, and I even went as far as saying the guy had no ground game whatsoever. Even got submitted by Nathaniel Wood, who, you know, the prospect, that's his name. He's a very good prospect, but... Andre Ewell knew he had to make some changes if he wanted to continue fighting in the big show, and I think that's exactly what he did. That next fight against the guy who uh, who submitted Ricky Simone, Andre Ewell got full-mounted twice in that fight, escaped both times. So 
I'm very impressed with the progression. He also got out of an armbar attempt uh, against Henan Barrao. What it seems like to me with Marlon Chito Vera is you said it right, and I don't want to discredit any of his wins because you know I, I love when Chito turns up on these guys, but he really has been going out there beating a bunch of old men. But at the same time, so is Ul because Barrao and Anderson Dos Santos are old men. So basically, they've both been beating the same kind of guys. Now it's two young guys meeting. Obviously, Cheeto is the younger guy here. I think Ul is definitely going to be the cleaner boxer. He's going to be hitting him with that straight left, and he's going to have some good success there. It just comes down to what happens in that second and third round when Cheeto Vera historically turns up on guys. So very, very tough fight to call. I, w I was actually leaning Ul in this one, man. I think it's a dogger pass situation, so we'll see what happens. I'm going to lean with Ul. I think he's got the cleaner boxing, and if he can keep it together on the mat, I think he can go out there and win this fight. But... He's got to keep it together on the mat. That's the big caveat here. And if he does that, I think he's clean enough on the feet to win. So I'm going to go with Ul for the upset. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Max Griffin. He's 15-6. and six, And Alex Morano is 16-5. and five. Currently, they got Max Griffin minus 140. The comeback on Alex Morano is plus 120. Well, man, both these guys are coming off wins. Max Griffin won an ATL against the Russian. And Alex Morano, ever since he switched to Forrest MMA, Two wins in a row. Who do you think continues the win streak here? Yeah, this is going to be a very good fight. Morano opened up the slight favorite at minus 130, and Griffin, uh, the slight underdog now. It's flipped. Griffin's the slight favorite. Morano's the underdog. You know, I feel like Max Griffin, he's a very big guy. He likes to come out very hard, but I have concerns about his cardio and his chin, you know, progressively. It seems like uh, these last few fights, I mean, even even in the beginning of his career, you know, his fight with uh, Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos, he came out really hard, and then uh, towards the end of that first round, it just seemed like historically he has a tough time that's why the Tiago Alves decision yeah he won that fight but the reason why it should have been much cleaner he was lying minus 240 in that fight and is the reason is because I'm not saying that his weight cuts are hard or anything it just seems like towards the end of rounds he loses a little bit focus then he gets clipped on the ear and then he starts wobbling and then you saw in the Zaleem Emadaev fight you know Zaleem Emadaev coming into that spot had only had wins over guys that were Two and one, one and, you know, just guys that weren't UFC caliber. So, you know, throwing him, he was lying chalk against Max Griffin. I just think that was a uh, a bad spot. And Griffin, you know, he won the majority decision and he won that first round very comfortably. But you know, what happened when the fight progressed on? If if Imadayev wasn't spinning like a wild man, that fight could have been a lot closer. I mean, it, it was it would have been a split if Imadayev didn't win that uh, lose that point. So I think Max Griffin... Is a very big guy. Definitely got some size on Morono. Might even have some power on him early. But I feel like the, the with the improvements that Morono's making, I feel like Morono was a guy that I don't want to say he didn't take the sport seriously, but I feel like he was lacking direction. And it's all starting to make sense now. His fights against Jordan Mead, people, some people consider that an egg in which he got uh, he got taken down and laid on for two rounds. But when you go and look at Morono's team around him, I mean, his friends were training. Morono was the head of his own training camp. He wasn't really getting that full preparation like how he's getting at Fortis. Now at Fortis, his last two fights against Keenan Song, he gets a fight of the night. And against Zach Otto, he smashes him to a point uh, in the in the very first round. So I see Morono going up and I see Max Griffin actually kind of either hitting a plateau or going down. You know, I feel like Max Griffin's always been an average fighter, but I feel like Morono's ceiling, if he continues to make these improvements, is just flat out a better fighter than Max Griffin. I think that he can maintain his pace a little better. I feel like he's got more weapons. Max Griffin, uh, he's been coming in with the takedowns a little bit more, but I feel like now you see Morono, now when he gets taken down, he's attacking those guillotines right away and he's getting those uh, those reversals like how he did against Zach Otto, who is a black belt as well. So I'm actually going to go with Alex Morono here for the victory. I think he takes over this fight in the second and third rounds. 
and, and puts it on uh, Max Griffin late to get the win, to get the win here. Man, that's going to be one hell of a fight. Obviously, you mentioned those improvements that Alex Morano has been making, and I got to tell you, you're 100% correct because I bet on Alex Morano in that Jordan Meehan fight, and when I tell you that I was disgusted, when I tell you that I said I will never bet on Alex Morano ever again, I mean, I haven't yet, but... I was so down on that guy that I thought there was no coming back. Well, there was coming back because he switched to Fortis MMA in those last two fights. Even though you, we can criticize the level of competition, and I will do that here in a second, but Alex Morano 100% looked a lot better, looked more improved, looked more composed, looked like he belonged in the UFC in those fights. Now, with Max Griffin, his issue has always been the guy goes way too hard too early, and then he's got nothing left, and he's very flat-footed, and he starts wobbling a lot. But on his best day, even though this is a loss, I mean, the guy can still have a fight of the night with Zaleski in Brazil and give everyone that was laying chalk on Zaleski a heart attack. So Max Griffin, he's a very big guy for the weight class. And, you know, what I think is going to happen in this fight, man, is that I think the size and the physicality of Max Griffin is going to play a factor for at least the first seven minutes of this fight, man. At least the first round and a half. The first round's going to Max Griffin. He's going to take down Alex Morano. We haven't seen these improvements in Alex Morano's takedown defense because he's he's been fighting guys like Keenan Song who don't shoot for takedowns and Zach Otto who, if you talk to anybody in Milwaukee, uh, they'll let you know that Zach Otto ain't known for being the toughest guy from that scene. So, you know, I, I, I see why Morano has hasn't been getting taken down. I see why those past issues haven't been coming back up, but I think they will come back up here because I think Max Griffin is going to try to implement that Jordan Meehan game plan, try to take this guy down, try to steal rounds that way, and try to not let him get into that crazy brawl. So I think the first two rounds are going to go to Max Griffin, but that third round, that's when Griffin is going to be a little tired. That's when Murano is going to turn up. If you have money on Murano in that third round, you're going to be screaming, come on, Alex, finish this guy. You know what I mean? He's going to be throwing spins. He's going to be doing the whole bit. I think he goes out there and wins that third round. If it's a 10-8, we might be looking at a draw, but I think it's going to be a 10-9. I'm going Max Griffin via 29-28 unanimous decision. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Davison Dice Duguera Figueiredo Alcantara. He's 16 and 1. And Tim Elliott is 15 and 8. Currently, they got Davison Figueiredo minus 190. The comeback on Tim Elliott is plus 165. Well, Shaq, Davison Figueiredo opened minus 210. Now he's minus 190. A lot of action been coming in on the fan favorite, Tim Elliott, who, by the way, is coming off an ACL surgery. You think Tim Elliott gets back to, you know, his uh, funky, scrambly ways here against Davison Figueiredo, or is it going to be another one in the win column for the God of War? Elliott's a good, fun, entertaining fighter, good scrambles. College wrestler Davison Figueredo, the adjustments that he made from the Formiga fight, you know, the Formiga fight, he kind of laid an egg in. He was chalk. He got taken down every round, couldn't get back up. Formiga's a world class grappler. I don't think Tim Elliott's on that level. Davison Figueredo's actually the black belt here. Uh, Elliott's a blue belt, but, you know, he's got the, the scrambles and, and whatnot. But I feel like what the really is going to separate them is when Davison gets uh, gets him out in space. You know, I know uh, Tim's funky and he likes to come from all these different angles, but if you do that against Davison Figueredo, I see him getting bruised up very badly. I feel as in bruised up. I mean, whenever Davison hits him, he's going to feel it. And I feel like Davison's the most powerful flyweight on the roster. We know that his weight cuts are very big. And I feel that uh, Tim Elliott's going to be a little bit rusty. And I feel like the initial version of Tim Elliott really was just hit or miss. I mean, look at his level of competition. His last one was over Mark De La Rosa, who took the fight on short notice, who can't get up off his back. We've, we've seen that time in and time out. Then his fight before that against Ben 10, he got finished in the first round. The 
best Tim Elliott was the one that fought DJ, but I feel like it's been a considerable drop-off, and now he's coming off an ACL injury, so I'm, you know, I think there's going to be a, another drop-off, and I think that the improvements that Davison made in his wrestling against Pantoja, he, you know, the big worry going into that fight was what happens when Pantoja takes him down? Is he going to get back up? Nah, it was Davison that was taking him down, so I actually think Davison might take Elliott down, whose takedown defense is average at best. And I feel like uh, Davidson's going to get a very comfortable win here. I'm actually going to say by finish. I think he pounds Tim Elliott, bruises him up, and just roughs him up kind of similar to the John Moraga fight. You know, I feel like this is going to end very viciously. You know, I got a lot of respect for Tim Elliott. Very exciting guy. To go off the ultimate fighter, you know, you're fighting these guys who are on the exact same level as you. Then all of a sudden, like, you're fighting Demetrius Johnson and you take him to a five-round decision. Very impressive. I I like the guy. He even won the first round. So, and also... I've been a fan of Tim Elliott for a long time. Uh, I remember that clinic he put on Jared Papazian back in 2012. I watched that shit on my computer on Fight Pass. You know what I'm saying? And I, I was a fan of him back then. The guy's going out there throwing cartwheel kicks. He'll do backflips. He'll do the whole bit on the mat. Very unorthodox. I like Tim Elliott a lot. But when you're talking about coming off an ACL surgery, a two-year layoff, and uh you know, you, you don't get to fight Joby Sanchez coming off a two-year layoff. Now you get to fight Davison, Dice Duguera, Figueiredo. I just think that's a horrific nightmare. Welcome back to the flyweight division. You got to cut that weight again. And on top of it, you have to go up against not just the hardest hitter in the division, but the best athlete in the division. I know my boy Henry Cejudo might have an issue with that. And, uh, you know, I might have to take those words back. But let's let's say top three best athletes in the division because Davison Figueiredo definitely is that guy. Hits like an absolute truck. If his weight cut is in order, I think there's going to be smooth sailing here. And even though he does have some issues on the mat, we have seen him get taken down a bunch by not just Formiga, but by Jared Brooks as well. I think he's addressing that part of his game. I think his get-ups are seriously on point, as you saw in the Pantoja fight. And I think when he hits Tim Elliott clean on the chin, if he doesn't knock him out, I think he's going to take a lot of fight out of him. Not because Tim Elliott isn't tough. Tim Elliott's as tough as they come, but because I don't think Tim Elliott's ever been hit this hard. I'm going to go with Dice Duke here for a dominant victory now next up in the lightweight division we got thomas gifford he's 17 and 8 and mike beast boy davis is 7 and 2 currently they got mike davis minus 260 the comeback on thomas gifford is plus 220 well shaq uh, everybody remembers mike davis fight on contender series versus sadiq yusuf it was it was considered the fight of the season and with thomas gifford very scrambly guy, known for his guillotine, went out there, lost a decision in his UFC debut to Roosevelt Roberts. He's looking to bounce back here against Mike Davis, who takes this fight on short notice. Uh, which way are you leaning? Mike Davis, he had the fight scheduled in Denmark against Danny Henry. Now he's taken, uh, he couldn't make that fight. Now he took a couple weeks off, I guess. Now he's jumping into this fight with Gifford. Gifford's a 6'3", lightweight, very tall, long. I actually think Gifford has a lot of potential if he can clean up some things in his wrestling and his striking. And he's been training at Factory X in Colorado. I feel like that's one of the, the best gyms out there currently, you know, up there with Fortis and City Kickboxing and all those other gyms. So I feel like we're going to see a much more improved version of Thomas Gifford. And how I see this fight going is see Davis, obviously on paper, he has the, the boxing edge, the the striking edge we remember his fight with Sadiq Yusuf Gifford is one of these guys where when you get in there with him it's going to be totally different his length is going to create a lot of problems and Gifford's a guy that ain't going to back down you know he's from Arkansas he's got a lot of pride about himself and I think basically what's going to happen is Gifford's going to give him a lot more trouble on the feet than Davis is expecting you know I feel like Gifford's going to come out there and force him to take an inadvertent shot and then I think Davis is going to get guillotined somewhere in that first or second round wow so we got Shaq going for the upset and I can see it I mean Thomas Gifford very opportunistic finisher 
seasoned as well, a lot more fights on his record than Mike Davis. And you shoot in there with the head on the outside, you're not protecting your neck, he will snatch up that guillotine, no questions asked. But Mike Davis, uh, the, even though this is short notice, he was already in camp uh, training to fight Danny Henry. I don't know the exact reason he was pulled off that, that card. Danny Henry was pulled off as well. And then it became Giga Chikadze versus Brandon Davis. That replaced the fight. So if anyone knows why Mike Davis was pulled off that that card, just let me know. Because if it's injury-related, I would love to know. But at the end of the day, I just think that Mike Davis is probably cleaner than Thomas Gifford everywhere. And if he doesn't get caught with that guillotine, I think he comes out here and wins. I think his wrestling background and his boxing background are strong enough to, to keep his cool throughout this fight. So don't get guillotine and you win this fight. I'm going Mike Davis via decision. And next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Devin Brown Bear Clark. He's 10-3 and, and Ryan Superman Span is 16-5. and five. Currently, they got Ryan Spann minus 150. The comeback on Devin Clark is plus 130. Well, Shaq, Devin Clark gets counted out every single fight because we all remember what he used to be like, the spastic guy with no direction that got knocked out by Alex Nicholson. But I got to tell you what, the kid's definitely been putting in work, went out there, dropped Rackage twice, albeit ended up losing the fight. But to go in there and drop a guy like Rackage twice, it shows me that Devin Clark is making big improvements. You saw his subsequent fight against Darko Stosic went out there and won and with Ryan Spann uh, I've given this guy a lot of heat in the past I remember that Alex Nicholson fight where I thought he was on the verge of losing even some other ones the the Carl Roberson fight I thought that Ryan Spann was never going to pan out but since he moved up to 205 now granted the Carl Roberson fight was also at 205 aside from that his 205 move has been the best thing he's ever done for his career because this guy has been looking a lot better I used to be very worried about Ryan Spann I used to think he was one of the chinniest guys out there on the regional scene and for that reason I thought he was never going to make it to the UFC but the guy is definitely uh Put his head down, grinded, has a great connection at Fortis MMA. Now he's got his boy Uriah Hall down there with him, and I think that he really has a nice connection. Whereas Devin Clark, you know, he's always been a John Jones' right-hand man, which is a good thing and it's a bad thing. You know, you're getting to work with the best in the world every single day, but that doesn't mean that you're the best in the world. And this fight's going to be very interesting. It comes down to Devin Clark's composure. If he starts to finally know when to pace himself, stop being so spastic in there, I think he does have the tools to come out here and beat a guy like Ryan Spann. But the thing with Spann is he's also huge for the weight class. He's also opportunistic. And, man, he finds ways to win uh, these fights uh, in a more mature fashion than he ever has in the past. So I've been very impressed with Ryan Spann. But I'm actually going to go with Devin Clark here, man. Uh you know, he's a guy that I've been hard on in the past. I've given him a lot of heat, but he's proven me wrong. He's shown some big improvements, and I think that if he, if, huge if, if he doesn't come out here all spastic, if he keeps his composure, I think he can win by decision or by knockout here. So I'm actually going to go with the upset. I'm going to go with Devin Clark here. He makes some good points. Clark has been making improvements, training with John Jones. I mean, he's been shadowing John Jones for a couple of years now, and his last fight against Darko Stasek was definitely a good step in the right direction as well with the fight with Ratchet. Both these guys are former 85ers, and they moved up, and I'll tell you what, Clark coming up from 85, he's a, a, a much more faster 205er. That's why he was able to blitz uh ratchet like that you know he wasn't used to speed like that so clark definitely has that going for him and span kind of has that going for him as well i'll tell you what span's probably one of the more well-rounded guys at 205 i mean the guy can do everything he's got the grappling he's got the the boxing it's just about his mindset and past users at 85 and now he's with his new team i feel like safe has instilled a lot of confidence in him so the big fundamental difference here the difference with the span fight and the, the darko fight is darko stasik has a doesn't have the volume to really make devin clark be spastic you know darko stasik is a 
a very muscular guy that has a low volume rate. And Darko Stasi kind of let him off the hook at in times, you know, in spots where, you know, other guys would be throwing more volume to test the chin of Devin Clark. So I think that's what's going to happen here. You know, I feel like Clark's going to come out here and, you know, look how he always looks big, strong, powerful. I don't think he's going to have much success with the takedowns. I just see Span being too much bigger. I think he's got the, the size advantage here. Clark is live for a knockout. That could definitely happen, but I actually think Span gets the knockout. I think Clark makes a mistake trying to close the distance, and I think Span puts him out. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Eric, your boy, Anders. He's 12-4, and four, and Gerald, GM3, Mershart is 30-11. and 11. Currently, they got Eric Anders minus 160. The comeback on Gerald Mershart is plus 140. Well, Shaq, I don't think I've ever seen a plus number next to Eric Anders' name. Once again, he is the favorite here. This is his return to middleweight. You know, you moved up to a light heavyweight for a bit here. You think he has a successful return against the black belt, Mershart, the former sax player? Gerald Mershart, he's one of these tricksters at middleweight. We know that he's got over, you know, 20-something subs on his record. He's been a pro fighter since he was a teenager. The guy's as tested, as experienced as it could get. And Eric's going back to 85, and that was kind of intriguing to me, you know, because because it seemed like 205, what was his record? One and one? Uh, I guess. And the Mamouj fight, Mamouj beating Mamouj really, I guess, doesn't mean that much. So, you know, now he's back at 85, but at 85s, Eric struggled to pull the trigger. I mean, now he's going to cut that weight. You know, I definitely have some question marks, but I definitely think he, as far as his matchup, you know, I feel like Eric matches up very well against submission type fighters uh, or black belts or, you know, whether it be Mamouch, whether it be Rafael Natal, whether it be Maluco Perez, where it, whether it, now it's Gerald Mershot. I feel like he does very good against that type of fighter. I think he can just out-muscle those guys, and it's very hard to sub a guy with no neck. So I feel like Eric Anders... This fight is tailor-made for him, and I think he gets the finish win here somewhere in that second round. That was a very good breakdown, especially about the styles that Eric succeeds against versus the styles that he doesn't. I mean, if you're out there like Machida or Elias, you're running away. You're not fighting him. Eric doesn't do that well. Or if you're too fast like Khalil Roundtree, then that's too much as well. But I think that when you're a slower, unathletic guy who... I mean, look, Gerald Mershaw, we're not going to discredit him. He's not a one-trick pony. He's won fights via knockout and via submission. He's a, he's a finisher, but I think that the athleticism difference is actually huge here, and I do think that this is one of those fights where Eric is the faster guy. So as long as Eric doesn't get submitted or doesn't get dominated on the mat, I think he has a very good chance to come out here and win as a favorite. So I will pick him outright as well. Now next up in the lightweight division, we got Luis Pena. He's 7-1, and and Matt Frivola is also 7-1. and Currently, they got Luis Violent Bob Ross Pena minus 160. The comeback on Matt Steamroller Frivola is plus 140. Man, this is a hell of a fight, and I'm very excited about it. We were actually in attendance for both of their last fights Luis Pena versus Matt Wyman and Matt Frivola versus Jalen Turner in uh, Greenville and Atlanta, respectively. And I got to say, both these guys have been making huge improvements. The biggest one I've been seeing is how comfortable these guys are starting to feel inside that octagon, starting to really treat it like their home. Because I remember Luis Pena's debut against the leg lock guy. And, you know, he got taken down a couple times. We were like, Luis, you know, and then uh, Matt Frivola, you know, he fought Lando Venata and Polo Reyes in his first two fights and couldn't beat either of them. So we didn't think his ceiling was that high. And then against Jalen Turner, was getting tagged up repeatedly on the feet, but found ways to get this to the mat and neutralize him. So definitely got to give Frivola a lot of credit. Very tough guy. And there's been questions about his chin. I actually think those questions are kind of, you know, exaggerated a bit because... The proof I need to see that this kid has a good chin is how about you land a clean high kick to his face and see if he gets back up. And that's exactly what he did against Lando Venata. So I know Matt Frivola can take a clean shot. 
And with Pena, the thing that's given him issues is even though he's actually a wrestler back in Arkansas, he's so long for the weight class that he does give up takedowns easily, and that's the spot that Frivola is going to look to capitalize. Now, the thing here is, unlike Jalen Turner, Jalen Turner will just lay on his back, and I've said many times, Jalen Turner is not a UFC-caliber fighter. Luis Pena is. Luis Pena won't just give up you know, a top position to lay on his back. He's going to start looking for scrambles. He's going to start using that six-foot-three frame and those long limbs, and Get, get into awkward positions from him, man. Uh, he really uses his size to his advantage, and I really think that Frivolo has only one way to win. I know people are saying his boxing is getting better, and, and I agree, and you know maybe he could capitalize on the tall man's defense, but I don't see that happening. I think if he tries to throw big bombs, I think he's going to get caught trying to close the distance with something up the middle, maybe an uppercut, a knee, the straight. But I do think that there's going to be an incredible scramble fest, and I just see when... Frivola takes down Violent Bob Ross. I see him trying to. I see Frivola, I see Pena trying to hit that switch. I see him going for sweeps. I see him reversing that position, getting on top, and uh, maybe even Dars choking a guy like Frivola. So I'm gonna go with Luis Pena inside the distance here, Shaq. Yeah, Luis Pena. He's got six three. Very good boxing. Good kicks. I mean, it, it looks like he's been making improvements since that Trezano fight. And that Trezano fight was a good showing. A very close fight. Could have won either way. Split decision type of fight. And Frivola, I feel like this guy is very wiry. He's game. You know, he ain't scared of nothing, man. Frivola is fearless. And, you know, he actually does have a very good shot as he's backing up. But at the same time, if you want to back up against a six three guy, it's not the best recipe for success because... You know, those guys are going to beat him to the punch. And Frivola's chin is a little bit of a liability to me. You know, I feel like, you know, yeah, he got back up from the Lando Venata fight. But, you know, what happens when he fights a not a aging? What happens when he doesn't fight a, a weathered old man? Lando, Lando Venata's completely done and he's been done for a long time. So Luis Payne is going to come out here. And, and, you know, the whole takedown thing. Yeah, Frivola's got the takedowns. And, you know, we know that Pena loses, uh, uses submissions to kind of to kind of defend the takedowns, and he's very scrambly. But one thing I notice is if you attack Frivola uh, while you're on his back, I mean, he will stand back up. So I feel like Pena, he's got to – he can definitely get back up if uh, Matt Frivola uh, takes him down. And where I see them separated is off the brakes. You know, when they stand up, if they do get stood back up or if Pena gets back up to the feet, Pena doesn't take any rest. Pena likes to attack with the straight punches the second they get off the brake. And Frivola likes to take a little bit of rest. You know, he's uh, he uses a lot more power in his uh, in his style as where Pena is very loose and just measured and just keeps things very simple. So I'm going to take Luis Pena as well. And next up in the strawweight division, we got Mackenzie Dern. She's 7-0. And Amanda Hibosh is 7-1. Currently, they got Mackenzie Dern minus 145. The comeback on Amanda Hibosh is plus 125. Well, Shaq, it opened minus 245. Now it's minus 145, so a full dollar drop in the price here on Mackenzie Dern. Tons of action on Amanda Hibas. And, you know, people are trying to play up this whole pregnancy angle as if they're doctors that know the effects women go through after pregnancy. If you guys know, just let me know. But what I think, even though I, I've never been pregnant before, is I kind of compare this to a situation, you know, similar to a USADA violation. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. There's two different kinds of USADA violations. There's the Vitor Belfort, where, you know, he was TRT Vitor. Then he comes back off the sauce, and he's got sagging tits, and you know you don't recognize the guy. And then you got the Brian Ortega kind where, you know, he's 23 years old, pops for something and comes back, goes on a win streak, gets a title shot. So there's two different kinds of USADA violations. And guess what? There's two different kinds of pregnancies too. You got the 38-year-old Alexis Davis 
you know what I'm saying, coming back with love handles, but now you got a younger lady in Mackenzie Dern who was allegedly back in the gym four weeks after her pregnancy, that to me tells me there were zero complications, that to me tells me everything was smooth sailing, not to mention her weight came down, she made weight perfectly, I think this is a good fight for Mackenzie Dern because, look, Amanda Hebas, she's a black belt as well, but not the same kind of caliber black belt here. Uh, Mackenzie Dern's on a completely different level. I mean, she's uh, she's the daughter of Megaton Diaz, or as we like to say, uh, my boy Megatron, you know what I'm saying? So I think she's going to come out here with something funky and uh, submit this girl Hebas. And look, I know ATT is super high on Hebas. I know she might be the more well-rounded fighter in this spot, but I think she's simply too small. And not to mention, Mackenzie Dern... That girl hits like a truck. I mean, well, we know her jujitsu is unbelievable, but what about her pe her power standing? For that weight class, you don't often see girls at 115 dropping other women, and that's exactly what Mackenzie Dern does. So I think she comes out here, drops Amanda Hebas, snatches the neck, first round sub. Amanda Rebus, you know, the version that we saw against Pollyanna Viana a couple years ago when she got knocked out compared to the version we saw against Whitmire were two totally different people. So I'm very interested to see how she does in this spot and, and moving forward. She was born in the gym, man. Her dad uh, wouldn't sleep on her black belt as well, man. She's very, very legit in my opinion. And Mackenzie Darn's legit as well. Her fight against Yoder was kind of, I don't want to say close, but the first two rounds, she didn't get any takedowns. Uh, Yoder actually stuffed all her takedowns, and it was a it was a fairly competitive fight for two rounds, and then eventually in that third round, she was able to get on top of her towards the end of the fight and take her back. Mackenzie, she likes to use that forward aggression, likes to duck her head down and swing those big bombs, and that stuff. Amanda Cooper, let's be honest here, guys, she was broken going into that fight. I mean, I think this is the best girl that Mackenzie Dern has also fought. This is both the best girls that they they fought in their careers, so I feel like this is going to be, you know, a closely contested fight. I feel like McKenzie still got a lot to work on, as well as Rebus. So, uh, if someone took the shot on Rebus, man, I, I don't blame you, man. I, I like what I see from her. I like what I saw in that debut. I mean, the way she made Whitmire get out of there it was very impressive. So, her training at ATT, I mean, she's been putting in work with Yoani and Jaychik as well. She's been putting in work with Jillian a lot, too. So, I would not be shocked if Rebus's skill level was even much more better to give Dern a much more competitive fight. So, you know, although I'll take McKenzie for the win I feel like it can play out a lot much closer and although you know it's a whole dollar uh line line change right there a shot on rebounds you know I don't I don't think it's a, a bad thing so we'll see what happens now next up in the welterweight division we got Nico the hybrid price he's 13 and 3 and James the Texecutioner Vic is 13 and 4 currently they got Nico the hybrid price minus 145 the comeback on James Vic is plus 125 well Shaq, I mean, we've been asking Vic to move up to 170 since 2016. It's finally going down three years later in 2019. Do you think he has a successful welterweight debut here versus the opportunistic finisher, Nico the Hybrid Price? Yeah, this is going to be a very good fight. Both guys are never in a boring fight. Both guys bring it every time. You know, Nico Price, this guy is super underrated. Just when you think that you got him dead to rights, boom, he puts you out unconscious. And Vic, we know the troubles that he's had, uh, you know, these last three fights. He doesn't really blame the weight cut on it. He blames the technical issues. And that is, that's a that's a good thing to say. It is the technical issues. It is him leaving his chin up. And he says he's been working, uh, you know, religiously to try to fix those things, man. So in terms of just the, the I'm seeing a lot of thoughts you know, James Vick, he reached the top, he reached the top 10 in the UFC's lightweight, the, the deepest division in the UFC, which means that he's a better fighter than Nico Price. And that, you know, one can make a good uh, case of that. I mean, he is the faster puncher. Probably, I don't want to say even on the mat, Vick's got more subs, but Nico Price, I mean, hashtag hammer fist from bottom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, 
I mean, the shit this guy does, I mean, he's a nut job. And yes, they've been knocked out in two of their last three, but I still feel like uh, they're different type of knockouts. And yeah, we can look at paper and say all this and that, but one guy wasn't able to move when he got knocked out twice. And, you know, Nico Price, you know, right after he got knocked out against Jeff Neal, he got back up. And Jeff Neal and, my, and, and James Vick are just two different caliber fighters, in my opinion. I feel like James Vick definitely has the, the range, and I feel like he has more punches to win a decision if he can get back to his point fighting style where he moves throws his sidekicks and and his teeps and uses his straight punches to to stay at distance but I'm just not sure if he has the focus to to you know I just feel like his mindset is a little bit wavered at this point you know so and I feel like Nico's mindset has never wavered so I'm gonna go with Nico Price here for the win but I think it, Vic you know he could get the win here but I'd like to see more people going to, against Vic in the betting lines in this spot but it seems like more people are on him so I'm gonna go with Nico Price I feel like it, it could go the uh, either way but I'm just still have doubts if Vic can take that over and right I mean there are rightful concerns no doubt about it and when you talk about tall man's defense uh you know, James Vick got away with it for a very long time, but when you hit the top 10 of the deepest weight class in the entire sport, guys like Dan Hooker and Justin Gaethje are not going to let you get away with that kind of stuff. Uh, that's just what happens when you face world-class competition and you have those technical deficiencies. Now he says that he's been working to fix them, and I think to an extent he will fix them, you know, similar to how a guy like Diego Lima really worked, that shell game, or even an overeem. They learn how to work around their chin. I know other people will compare it to a rock hold where they might say it's already a, a done deal. It doesn't matter what he does. And maybe you're right, maybe not. But I do think that at least set yourself up to win by addressing those technical issues. So he moved uh, to Thailand for about six weeks, did this whole camp there, says he's been working religiously on keeping his hands up and his chin down, basically says that every single time he'd lift his chin or drop his hands, the Thai trainers would slap him in the face hard as hell. So hopefully that's been drilled in him because when you're talking about a guy like Nico Price, uh, he might get teed off on for a little bit, but when he decides to turn up, he tends to turn up and he drops a lot of the guys he faces. Now, Shaq is right that Jeff Neal and Razak Al-Hassan are on a completely different level than Vic in terms of just their power and all that stuff, but Justin Gaethje and uh, Dan Hooker are on a completely different level than Nico Price, so I kind of feel like Vic and Nico have a bit of an even playing field in a sense here, and I also think that Nico's distance closing abilities are nowhere near as fast as guys like Hooker and Gaethje, so this is going to be a really great fight while it lasts. And I think that Vic is going to get the better of the stand-up exchanges with that straight right, with those teeps, keeping it on the outside. And I think that Nico Price is going to get fed up with that. He's going to try to close the distance with some big bombs. And if he does not land the finishing blow on James Vic, I think he will get finished trying to close the distance. I think that Nico Price is not the kind of guy to sit back and let someone dictate the pace. Nico Price, if he starts to feel threatened, he will start to charge you. And I think that's going to be his undoing. I think it's going to be a first-round knockout for James Vic. I think he makes a successful move up to 170 pounds co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division we got cub swanson he's 25 and 11 and the son of hickson gracie crone gracie is 5 and 0 currently they got crone gracie minus 165 the comeback on cub swanson is plus 145 well shaq this one opened similar to mackenzie dern this one dropped a dollar as well because it opened minus 265 for crone gracie now it's minus 165 a ton of action has been coming in on Cub Swanson. Now, both guys are black belts, but they're, they're, there's quite a difference in level of the black belt they are because when you talk about Crone Gracie's black belt, I mean, this is a guy that went out there and submitted Gary Tone and 
in pure jujitsu. Do you understand what I'm saying? And uh, by the way, did you know my boy Gilbert Dorinho beat Crone Gracie in jujitsu? Yeah. Crone's beat some UFC guys in jujitsu too. He beat Manil Dariush. Sergino beat Crone. Yeah, Sergino's a big boy. But uh, Crone's jujitsu credentials are very serious here. Now it comes down to how does that translate in MMA? We know Cub's been submitted a million times, granted by fighters who are way more developed than Crone. You know, Max Holloway. Is a more well-rounded fighter. All these guys are way more developed than Crone. But that being said, do you think Cub Swanson is washed up enough to where he will lose to a 5-0 guy Saturday night in Tampa, Florida? Cub, I think it's pretty clear he's washed up. I mean, um, how many has he lost in a row four? Um, yeah. Granted, those are to Ortega, Moicano, Frankie, and uh, Shane Burgos, who's an up-and-comer. You know, his last fight with Burgos was a lot closer uh on the scorecards than the rest of his other fights and that's because i feel like burgos is just out there playing around a lot man <laughs> uh, i can't wait for burgos versus mr finland down here in msg coming up here soon but it just seems like burgos is out there going through the motions playing around with cub a lot and, it, and he made the fight seem a lot much closer than it really was and granted cub swanson you know the last thing to leave is the power uh, you know the the, the the thing with Kron is a couple fights ago against kawajiri who also fought cub swanson uh you know i, I was wasn't impressed i mean just his his, in, his attempts to make to his attempts to close the distance just looked uh just you know <laughs> i don't want to say it was a freak show fight but it was just more of uh i felt like he needed had a lot of work to do before we can start throwing him in there against you know top 20 25 guys now granted he came in there against caceres looked way better than he did in the kawajiri fight i mean he actually countered back with a nice straight left hand on caceres before he tapped him out so you know it seems like cron gracie's been uh making improvements obviously he's only got you know six fights six or seven fights and now this fight with cub swanson cub's been submitted by jens pover moikano lamas uh, uh who else he's been subbed by a bunch of max holloway he's been frankie you know he's been subbed a bunch of times and it just comes down to yes the 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 price has dropped a dollar but crone gracie i don't want to say he's a mystery but i think we're all just if you're betting on crone you're envisioning the fight going one particular way you know one takedown let's take his back and and let's finish him now granted does he have the stand up to even compete with cub you know Cub is a little old. He is chinny a little bit. It's just I don't know. I, I just don't know. So if one took that shot on Cub at plus, you know, on the opening line, you know, I think he got a little bit of value there. He might ease life for a knockout here. We don't know how Crown takes a punch. We don't. You just don't know these things. We're just hoping he can come in and get the and get the single leg. And I'm just not sure you should be paying minus 170.65 for those type of things. But I feel like the better way to approach it in the betting thing is to maybe take the. Uh, Maybe take an over or under, or maybe take the the cron by submission prop, which is dog money. So you know, I feel like that would be a a better way to approach it. Cub Swanson, I think that he can. He's still a crafty guy. It's just like he's done, man. You know. And I think that if Cron gets him to the mat one time, it would probably be over. I'm just a little sketched out about his attempts to close that distance. You know, Alex Casares. Although he, he finished, and let's not forget, Martin Bravo took him down, and let's not forget, Ocho Peterson took him down as well very easily. So taking down Alex Caceres isn't the toughest thing in the world to do, you know. Um, but I will go with Kron. I don't want to say there's value. I think, you know, the value was on the opening line for Swanson. I'm having trouble to say there's value on the minus 165, but I, I will pick uh, Kron for the one. I mean, I understand your hesitation. Crone Gracie, in terms of the overall MMA game, hasn't looked the best, but the jiu-jitsu is so on point. And he's only going to need one back take here to finish this fight. 
It's just that what if he doesn't get that back take, right? But the thing with Cub Swanson is, I mean, when's the last time he's knocked anyone out? But then again, he's been fighting way higher level competition. But still, he ain't out here finishing, guys. It's been a long-ass time since that's happened. And also, I saw my boy Artem Lobov go out there and take down Cub Swanson in the first minute of their fight, so in the first round. So, you know, I'm not trying to be like, well, if, if Artem took him down, therefore... Crone will take him down, and I do think Crone will get pieced up a little bit on the feet here, but as soon as he gets those double underhooks, get that body lock, take his back, I think it will be over shortly after. So if Cub can come out here and survive, keep it standing long enough, pepper this guy, and disengage, you know, he didn't give up any takedowns against uh, Frankie Edgar the second time, so that was kind of an improvement. And uh, in that last fight against Shane Burgos, I expected Burgos to go out there and knock out Swanson. It looked to me like Swanson won the first seven minutes of that fight. But this is a completely different matchup. What I like about Crone is he's not delusional in terms of his skill set. He might be delusional in terms of certain views, <laughs> but no, that, I'm kidding. But he's not delusional in terms of his skill set. He knows that he's out here for one reason, one reason only, is to represent jujitsu. I mean, basically... When you're talking about a Gracie, these are the kind of guys that tell the you don't know shit about boxing guys that they don't know shit about boxing. You understand what I'm saying? So I think Crone Gracie takes his back and chokes him out in the first round. Main event of the evening in the strawweight division, we got Joanna Yunjacek. She's 15-3. and three, And Michelle, the karate hottie, Watterson is 17-6. and six. Currently, they got Joanna Yunjacek minus 335. The comeback on Michelle Watterson is plus 275. Well, Shaq, I know in their primes, Joanna goes out there and mops the floor with Michelle Watterson. No questions asked. Uh, do you think a past her prime, Joanna, that's lost three of her last four, can defeat the best version of Michelle Watterson we've ever seen here? Well, Joanna Yunjacek, she's got that high-volume Muay Thai style. It's very disciplined. It's very strict. You know, the issue we've always had with Joanna in the past has been her chin. We've seen her wobbled several times, whether it be the Gedalia, Carolina, Rose, uh, Rose Namajunas, um, Valentina Shevchenko. I mean, you know, she does get wobbled a lot. Now, Watterson ain't known for her boxing too well, but she is known for those sidekicks and that head uh, and that head and arm throw. I don't know if it's going to be enough. I think Joanna is considerably the better fighter, but when I say that, like, you got to know the state that Joanna's in. Yeah, she made weight today, but we don't know the, the lasting effects of her making weight. Is her chin going to be this? And I've known in the past that she's been struggling to make weight ever since the Jessica Panay fight. And there's a video on YouTube that you can go see. I mean, that was some years ago where she was, they were trying to pull her out the tub and tell her everything's okay, Joanna. But uh, I think that Joanna's definitely the better fighter, but there's a very good chance that she she's not going to perform like the, the fighter that she is. I mean, look, people going into the Valentina fight thought it was going to be competitive, and it was a it was a molly. It was the opposite. Of <laughs> <laughs> it was a molly whopping. Um, and then you know we bet on Rose Namajunas in the rematch. I mean, man, I thought Joanna was done. Where I'm betting on quitters. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> and they still won, and they and they still quit and won. You know what I'm saying? So I think Joanna's definitely a diminished version of herself. I definitely think that there's a good chance where you know if you're expecting the 50-45 landslide, and that might happen, but don't be shocked if this quickly turns into a a 48-47 type of situation, and you're and Joanna's occasionally wobbling, and you're like, Joanna, like, what the fuck? Like, why do you look so slow today? And, and I would not be shocked if that happened. That's how sometimes these things tend to work. Look, Karate Adi, although I'm not going to put too much stock into beating 
uh, Carolina Kovacavich because Carolina is completely washed up. But, you know, at the same time, she was the underdog in that fight. And, and both of those fights, she was the underdog. They didn't. We didn't think she was going to win those fights. So I think Karate Hadi's making games. You know, logically, sometimes these are how the things work. But I'll go with Joanna just to be on the safe side. I think that, you know, she throws more volume. I think that she'll just not rougher up, but just be cleaner. You know, Karate Hadi in the past, is her cardio with all that movement and bouncing around with those sidekicks has gotten her into trouble but i like the i like what i'm seeing but beating carolina kovacavich in 2019 or it doesn't really mean anything we saw that for example with grasso uh against esparza you know she was coming off that you know highlight performance of carolina kovacavich and then they put her in there with the quote-unquote washed up journey woman and uh she lost so don't be uh don't be shocked but i'll go with Joanna here yeah like I said at the beginning of this breakdown, historically speaking, Joanna Jacek mops the floor with Michelle Watterson. Nine times out of ten, this is a horrific matchup for Michelle. The thing is, she's catching Joanna at the perfect time. So if there was ever going to be a time for Michelle to get this win over Joanna, it would be tomorrow in Tampa. It's just that I still think the skill difference is huge here, man. And not only in terms of the output, because, I mean, Joanna almost doubles the output of karate hottie but she also absorbs less strikes or defense is better even in the grappling department the takedown defense is better interesting enough she's even more accurate with her takedowns who would have thought but what you got to look out for with michelle watterson is the same stuff you've always had to look out for the sidekick the head and arm throw all that kind of stuff and i think that if joanna comes out here and she's got her head on straight even if she doesn't have her head on straight if she fights a smart fight She's going to win this one. Don't let this chick get any kind of momentum on you. Don't let her wobble your glass chin. You know, don't don't let her really test your durability and I think you I think she goes out there and wins. So, I do agree with Joanna being a big favorite here. And you know, I also understand taking the shot on Michelle in the sense that Oh, look who just walked in. We got we got Jared Nitrate and Gooden coming off the win. What's up, hey, Nitrain? What's up, baby? Come on now. Y'all know how we do it. Y'all know how we do it. Congrats, bro. Oh, thank you, bro. Thank you. I'm trying to cut this music off. Oh, you're good. Hey, real quick. You want to tell the fans of half the battle who you got between Joanna and Jacek and Michelle the Karate Hottie Watterson? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I'd have to go with Joanna John Jacek. Man, she's world champ. She's world class. Um, she's, I think she's coming off a couple losses, right? Yeah. 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 So I, I believe I believe she's going to come back. Like, she's she's world class. Michelle Watterson's good, but... um. I don't think she has the mentality of Joanna Joe, so I got Joanna Joe J-Check. <laughs> got my boy Nightchain with the official pick coming off the second round finish on UFC Fight Pass against the Alabama linebacker. You know what I'm saying, dude? Hell yeah. Good shit. Thank you, so man. I'm also going with Joanna Young J-Check. I just think that at this point in time, even though we're seeing the best version of Michelle Watterson and a diminished Joanna, the, the skill difference is still too big for Michelle to overcome. So for that reason, I'm going to take Joanna, but we'll see what happens. Make sure you check out our sponsor, FlavCBD. Use the promo code BATTLE to save 10% off any purchase at FlavCBD.com. want to thank you guys so much for your support. And now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, it's going down this Saturday. Yoanni on Jacek versus Michelle Watterson. How's it going? Not too bad, man. Uh, a lot of stretches of fights here. Haven't won big yet, so I'm due, I feel like. Hopefully this is it. Well, man, this is a stacked card, and obviously in the main event, you got Yoanni and Jacek taking on the Karate Hottie. Young Jacek is known for those punches and bunches. She puts up a lot of volume. You think she's capable of uh, putting up 100-plus points here in five rounds? Yeah, I think she's she's almost a lock for like 10x her salary and a win. 
just with the volume that she puts up, I don't think Watterson's going to want to, you know, throw volume back. So maybe she'll be dancing around the cage, which could take away from JJ. But I'm nervous about the whole weight cut also. I think this could be closer than I was planning on earlier in the week. So I changed my stance a little bit um, and lowered my my expected JJ ownership. I haven't made too many lineups yet, uh, but I was planning on going pretty heavy on her. Now I'm thinking maybe if I do 10 lineups, it's something like she'll be in half of them and maybe waters in, in, in three, something like that. Um, and I also threw a like half a unit on Waterson wins by split decision at like plus 1625 last night. So that's what I'm hoping for at this point. Um, but if, if I didn't hear any of this way and stuff and having flashbacks to that first Rose fight, I, I would have thought JJ would be a lock in most of my lineups here when like a clear 49, 46 volume striking based fight. So maybe that's still what will happen, but I'm, I'm a little, um, I don't know. I just, I just don't know anymore. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. No, I feel you hundred percent. I mean, this is the best Michelle has ever looked and Joanna, you know, is clearly, you know, she's talking about other things. She's talking about being a bu- a business woman and this and that. And that's, that's not very Joanna like, so <laughs> I'm very interested to see uh, how she performs for sure. So man, co-main event of the evening, Crone Gracie, the son of Hickson Gracie is taking on Cub Swanson. Obviously we know Cub Swanson when he loses fights, he tends to get tapped out, but this is a huge step up in competition for Crone Gracie. Do you think he's up for the challenge? Uh, it's going to be it's gonna be a tough one, but yeah, I think really all he has to do is get a hold of Cub. Um, if he gets a takedown, then it's probably a wrap. Um, but that's the question. Can he get the takedown or not? Cub's going to be looking to stay away from him and pick his shots. If Crone can't get the takedowns, he's going to get pieced up and lose, maybe even knocked out. So I like both sides of this but my preferred play is Kron here I just think it only takes one time grabbing a hold of him and it's probably over so if that comes in the first round it's going to be a lot of points 95 plus so uh, I like Kron here a, a decent amount but I don't know I mean, I'm a little nervous if he can get that takedown or not because it's going to be ugly if he can't so in the welterweight division you got Nico Price taking on James Vick and I have a feeling Kyle that this is going to be that fight on the card where these two uh, stand and bang until one man falls. The question is, which man's going to fall? Yeah, this is definitely one of the better fights on the card to target. Uh, we have a minus 350 fight doesn't go to a decision line. So those are always great for GPPs. You want that boom or bust type of fight where somebody could get 100 plus points. And at these guys' salaries at 8,400 and 7,800, they're going to be on the optimal if if this fight ends in the first or second round, because that price is just too low for, for somebody to get a hundred plus points and not win somebody the 25 K. So I'm going to be targeting this pretty heavily, but more so on the price side, uh, just because we've seen the Vic issues. Uh, I mean, the chin issues on Vic and price has some serious power. Maybe he's even the heaviest puncher Vic has faced so far. So, um, I, I think Vic's the better overall fighter here. And if he doesn't get knocked out, he probably wins, but if Price wins, it's almost always by a knockout. So he's going to score highly in that case. So he's the one I'm going to be targeting more in this fight, and he's probably one of my preferred plays on the entire card. So speaking of a fight where you think there's going to be a guaranteed finish, this next one between Mackenzie Dern and Amanda Hebas, if there's no finish, I think there's going to be a lot of scrambles. There's going to be a lot of takedowns. Which side are you leaning with? Because I see that there's been a lot of action on the underdog here. Uh, I'm leaning towards Dern here. Uh, but yeah, we're going to need a lot of grappling points for this to score highly or a finish, of course. 
because if this if this uh, just stays standing and the grappling cancels out, this is going to be a boring, sloppy striking match where neither one of them is going to score highly. But you got to think this is going to hit the mat at some point, and I think Dern's the better grappler. Um, so she's the one I like here. And at 8300 I definitely like that price tag. I'm just worried about her having the kid four months ago. Um, I, I don't even know how the body is, is ready to be fighting at this point. So I'm a little bit scared away from her. If she didn't have a kid four months ago and she looked as good a shape as she is now, I'd be pretty heavy on her at forty or 8300 But with, with the news, I can't go too heavy, maybe like a 40% play kind of thing. And I'm not too interested in Rebus. Um, I just don't see her submitting Dern here uh, or landing many takedowns. So it's Dern or pass for me. So Luis Pena is taking on Matt Frivola. Both guys coming off dominant wins. Who do you think takes uh, the next step up the lightweight ladder? Man, so I think Pena is the better overall fighter. Probably gets the win here. But the salaries at, at 9K for Pena and 7200 for Frivola, I would rather just take the dog because it's going to be a way easier path to that $25,000 lineup for Frivola at that price than it will for Pena. Um, and he's going to be the one looking for takedowns, I think. So if he can land multiple takedowns each round, he's, he can get close to 100 points here in a win. And at $7,200, that's going to put him on the nuts lineup for sure. So I definitely like Frivola a good bit here as the underdog. Um, I'm not going to cancel out Pena either because he's just impressive. Uh, he might not even need a finish to pay off that 9K price tag, but I feel like if we're paying that much, we're really hoping that he gets a first or second round finish, and I just don't think that's going to be the case. So he's my pick to win, but Frivola is my preferred play here on DraftKings. And last but not least, you got Ryan Spann taking on Devin Clark. These are two guys that have really come a long way, and now they're emerging prospects in the light heavyweight division. The question is, uh, who continues the win streak? It's another fight I like a lot on this card. Um, I like Clark, actually, to get the upset here. He's super cheap, $7,400. He should be looking for takedowns, and I think he can get a lot of them in this fight. And even if he wins by a decision, he's going to pay off that 7400 with the grappling that we should see from him. So he's, he's my preferred play here. But even picking against the favorite, if Span wins, he's going to score highly because it's probably a knockout. So at 8,800, I just think he's going to pay that off because it's maybe even first-round finish at the 100-plus. Could put him on the 25K lineup. This is almost an all-in fight for me. Um, but on a card where there's, there's some favorites I'd like to get up to, if I'm picking the underdog here, I have to lean with Clark as my preferred play, even though he doesn't have the ceiling of Span. Just give me any underdog that can win with a decent score here, and, and I'm hoping I can get the right combos with that. So hopefully uh, Clark gets the upset here. Well, Kyle, that's why you're the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down in about 24 hours in Tampa, Florida. They can follow you at Big Marley 3. Your bets and your write-ups are available at bestfightpicks.com. Yes, sir. Got three bets over there for you guys. They're all plus money. Hopefully you sweep this card, uh, and we have an epic Saturday. So good luck to everybody listening. Good luck to you, too. And Shaq, let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Tampa? My fight to watch is going to be Luis Pena versus Matt Frivola. You know, we got two up-and-coming lightweights, both 7-1. And it and, uh, seems like both guys are getting a lot better. You got a 6'3 guy versus a shorter guy. One seems a little bit more tenacious than the other one, but one seems a little bit more technical than the other one. So I think that's the fight to watch.
Definitely going to be one of the fights to watch for me. The fight to watch is Nico Price versus James Vick. Remind me the last time that Nico Price or James Vick were in boring fights because you can't. I think someone will get finished in this fight. I've been saying that James Vick should move up to 170 since 2016. You can go back to half the battle and hear me tell him that, that he needs to move up to 170. Well, finally, he's taking our advice. He's taking on the very tough Nico Price. I think that this fight will not go the distance. So for that reason, Nico Price versus James Vick is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Tampa? My fighter to watch is going to be Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie Dern, she's coming off this uh, pregnancy. And, you know, it seems like a lot of people are counting her out, but Mackenzie's one of the most hyped prospects that we've ever had hit the strawweight division in a long time. And if she can get this win, man, don't be surprised if they fast-track her up to fighting girls in those rankings. You know, they've been giving her the... Uh, the gatekeepers like Yoder and uh, Bobby Cooper. And if she can come out here and beat a fellow prospect like Rebus, I think they'll, she'll get a ranked opponent next. Yeah, and I'm also going to go with a jiu-jitsu player, but mine is going to be Crone Gracie, the son of the great Hicks and Gracie. I mean, when you talk about Hicks and Gracie, when you talk about the kind of pressure Crone has to live up to, Crone uh, Gracie's going to have a lot of pressure here. He's the son of Hicks and Gracie. If you know anything about Hicks and Gracie, this guy retired undefeated in MMA, which is unheard of. Granted, he only had 13 yeah, fights documented. He only had 13 documented fights, but who knows about all the street fights he had to prove that Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was the number one form of fighting. So the reason I'm bringing that up is because Crone has a serious responsibility and a serious weight on his shoulders to not just come out here and win, but to come out here and represent that family name. And what representing that family name means is not standing and banging with Cub Swanson, but trying to take his back and choke him out in that first round, keep that Gracie legacy alive. I mean, his dad, Hickson, is not just – he didn't just – retire undefeated he's also a red belt in jiu-jitsu if you know anything about jiu-jitsu that means that he's gone through eight degrees of being a black belt and now he's a red belt he's been a black belt for over 60 years that's some serious shit crone gracie has that to live up to and i think that if he takes cub swanson's back he will choke him out for that reason he is my fighter to watch well Shaq, we did it it's going down this saturday in tampa florida Joanna Janjacek versus Michelle Watterson. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. They can follow Half the Battle on Twitter at Half the Battle HQ, our Instagram, Best Fight Picks Official. Make sure you subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and all the spots that we are available. We want to thank you guys so much. Check out our sponsor, FlavCBD. Go to FlavCBD.com. Use that promo code BATTLE to save 10% off any purchase. Also, if you want our bets, go to bestfightpicks.com. Use the promo code MATADOR to save 15% off any package. We want to thank you guys so much for your support. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.